Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. Welcome back. Woo-saw. I give you a moment to come into the room. You might be coming out of a meeting. You might be coming back from lunch. You might be just now getting started with your day. And if you are, I am envious. Uh, so we're going to give you a second to come into the room, change your chat settings down on the bottom right to everyone, and let us know where you are tuning in from in the chat. That's what I want to see. Who's going to be first? Who is it? ATX, what's popping? Yes, Shout out yeah. Miami. That's my hometown. <laughs> 305 for life. I still have a 305 area code. I'm told there are no more. Shout out Toronto. Uh, Rachel, you said you live in Toronto, Toronto right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm there yeah, for six, six years. Six. Nice to see you. India in the house, India in the house, Edmonton, Canada, our Canadians, man. Hey, you guys, you guys show out. We love it. <laughs> Shout out to Ontario. Walmart. Lots of Canada. Well, I told you, man, I don't know why. Lots of Canada. They love us out there. We're coming back, yo. Amazing. We're just going to do like straight up Canadian tour. Shout out Jerusalem. I see you. Oh, oh, Ryan, today. what's up, Ryan? Change your chat settings to everyone before you guys put your comments in. If you want other people to see it, rep your city. Uh, let us know who you are. What are you, bro? Are you an SDR? Are you an AE? We have a 30-minute show today for you, and we're going to get real meaty, real fast with these experts in the room. Today, we're going to talk about boosting sales with expert discovery call strategies. Let me introduce you to the folks that are in the room. Welcome back to the Sell Better Daily Show. We are here to help you sell better daily. That's the way it goes. Uh, today, I am your host, James Say What Sales Buckley, and I am joined by Rachel Shi. Rachel is a strategic AE over at Metadata, and as an ex-creative turned seller, Rachel is a fantastic storyteller, which I absolutely love. She's got years of coaching experience and sales strategy experience. We're lucky to have her here sharing her wisdom. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Thank you so much, James, for having me. I'm looking forward to it. I love pimping out our people that come to the show, making them seem good, right? The edification, <laughs> that's what you should do when the guests come on your show. Shout out to Matt Wallach. If you're not saying his name right, it's Matt Wallach. That's how you say his name. This is a pure idea, man. As host of Scale Your Stats and CEO of Toro Wave, as well as a sales coach at, and I think I'm saying it right, Excel Us. Yes? Nailed it. Bam, I got it. Dude, I man, James. Pronunciation, that's happening. Right, Matt is the real deal. He is the full package, a practitioner and a teacher as well. If you're seeing a 50% close rate on your demos and a 20% close rate on your free trials, Matt is the guy that can change everything for you. Welcome both of you to Sell Better. Glad to be here. Let's take a look at who's in the room right here. Bam. Big AEs. AEs doing the deeper discovery, right? SDRs in the room doing some lightweight discoveries, some light lifting, maybe some qual. Right, but AE is going deeper, making the real deal, right? That's what's happening here. So I'm not surprised to see the AEs. Shout out to senior leaders. We need more of you. Tell your friends, come to the show, be active. The more leaders that come, the more change we can impact. Go ahead and scan this QR code that is on your screen right here. This is gonna take you to our new website, sellbetter.xyz and check out our YouTube channel. Uh, big thanks to Zoom Info for being a part of the show today, making this happen. And I have got something special and unique for you. Welcome to Zest. Do you have a deal stack? Let's get it going again. Send them a little something, a special great gift from you to them from our friends at Zest. Whether it's a one-off or you're sending a list to your ICPs, get this link in the chat right now and check out Zest. This is a newcomer to the game. They're going to make things happen. So keep your eyes on what Zest is doing. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about what you're going to get today. Some do's and don'ts of discovery, how to make sales solutions easy to accept. Change is hard. How do we make this easy? And then at the same time, we're going to give you a deep dive into how to get to your buyer's process. I've always said this is crucial. If you're just coming into the room, let us know where you're tuning in from in the chat. 
And let's kick things off here. Rachel, you said that a lot has changed in B2B sales dramatically over the last five years. Uh, do you have some highlight things that you think is worth focusing on today when we talk about what's changed? For sure. Yeah. And thanks for having me. And for a little bit of uh, sort of context here, for those of you who don't know me, I've been in B2B SaaS sales for around about seven or so years. Uh, so kind of mid, mid-range, not you know, as long as some of the veterans, but you know, certainly uh, you know, a little bit of experience uh, you know, in my tool belt. And uh, it's crazy just to see how much this world has changed um, you know, since those early days. I started my career as a you know, commercial account executive at Hootsuite um, and now you know, work at, at Metadata still as a, an account executive. And just thinking through just that buyer's journey and how much has changed, uh, you know, I think the biggest thing is really just how much information that buyers have at their fingertips now compared to those old days. I remember back in the day, we didn't even have pricing on our website. Uh, there was a lot of gatekeeping. Uh, it was very commonplace to sort of use, you know, so those first couple goals that you had with a, a prospect to determine if they were qualified, use whatever methodologies that you had. Uh, to determine if they were worthy of even knowing sort of that price. You know, that was being hammered into me, even sort of from frontline leadership, right? Um, game has changed. Um, at Metadata, for example, all our pricing is kind of out there, right? You know, obviously there's, you know, nuance, but, uh, you know, ROI calculated, social proof, uh, you know, sort of material that people need to to make business cases, all these sort of bottom funnel assets that weren't really readily available to, to folks um, in the buyer seat now is. Right. Um, so I think that's kind of the, the biggest change. And really, it requires us as sellers to just reexamine our role in that process in terms of what what can we do to be most impactful uh, in that process. And excited to dive into that today. Those are some great highlights there. Put a one in the chat if someone's ever come at you for pricing and you've been like, whoa, buddy, I don't even know what you want. Put a one in the chat if you have been withhold pricing because you have no idea what somebody wants and they're just coming at you hot asking for pricing. This happens all the time. Matt, you said people are educating themselves quite a bit now, and that's slightly different for sellers. Talk to me more about this. Yeah, I mean, my time goes back even even further than Rachel's quite a bit, 17 And for me, it's it, it's been a lot of change because now people absolutely should have a lot of information at their hands. They should have seen your website. They should have seen your post. They should have seen all of your different stuff you've got out there, as well as other stuff that people are just posting on the industry to understand some of the changes that are going on, some of the shifts that are happening within the market. So they should be on the call for the first time knowing a bit about what they need, what they need to solve, what your product can do for them. Whereas back in the day, they certainly did not. And so discovery can be a lot deeper because they already are at a certain level, already understanding a bit about some of the problems they're experiencing and how they might solve those problems. And so it's super important to understand how we can direct discovery so that we can take from where they are on what level they're on and advance that further so that the conversation becomes much stronger. Yeah, I think the further along they are, the more we've earned the right to get serious faster, right? And once we find out how far along they are, and Rachel's going to talk about that here in a minute. Uh, Rachel, you said 9% of buying time is actually spent with a salesperson I was surprised to hear this. Tell me why that 9% is best spent on discovery instead of selling. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, it's kind of a startling stat to think about, right? If you're in the the seller state, uh, the time that we think we have to influence a, uh, a buyer's decision process may be much smaller uh, you know, than we, we actually think it is. Right. So then the question really becomes like, if you're you know, uh, good at your job is how can we kind of create that outsized influence, even when we're not 
on the the call, right? And discovery plays a part into you know the the entire process, but I think it's just worth sort of thinking about um, you know sort of that that bigger picture, right? So I think the two things that are really valuable um, when you're on that first call with a buyer, knowing what we do about you know so the the buyer's journey, you know nine percent of time spent uh, with a seller is thinking about a uh, you know, where are they on their buyer's journey, right? Um, and how can we kind of c- create clarity in their mind? Because the fact is, you know, with all these changes in the, the buyer's journey, uh, there's a lot of clutter, right? There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of overwhelm. That probably is the the problem now compared to, you know, five, 10 years ago where, you know, the lack of information was the problem. Now it's like too much information, right? So helping you as a seller bring clarity to their decision-making process and sort of think through um, you know, what, what is it they really need, regardless of whether that is your solution or not. So that's number one. And then number two, I think the, the really key thing is thinking through, all right, how can we guide them to a decision of some kind, right? A lot of sellers fall into the mistake of like, right, I've got to like go through my checklist of questions and I've got to like, you know, go through like, you know, a quick, um, spiel. And then I've got to like start selling and like, it's all very seller centric. This is like, you know, this is what my checklist of what I've got to do in these 30 to, to 60 minutes. Whereas I think the bigger problem is the lack of decision that's often made. We talk about deals being lost to the status quo more often than it's lost to the competitor. I think that's right. more true than ever, right? With all this uh, this clutter, this information. So guiding them to a decision is also yeah hugely valuable in that, that process. Again, regardless of whether that is involving your, your solution or not. Um, and that first comes with understanding sort of the buyer, where they're at, you know, the situation, um, et cetera. So... Yeah, you get all that information through your discovery, by the way, not from selling your product. Matt, when we originally connected, we talked about do's and don'ts here. So let me get some do's and don'ts that you think are worth discussing. And then we'll talk about Rachel's do's and don'ts because both of these are things that I think are counterintuitive for many, many sellers in the room today. So go for it. Yeah, for sure. And and uh, Riaz just asked me what the flags behind me represent. Uh, those flags, some people say, is that where you've been? Why well, I, I wish I've been to several of those, but not all of them. The flags actually represent where my clients are around the world. So after I started accumulating clients from different countries, I'm like, well, let me just kind of represent them. And so I think they like that I I represent someone. Cool idea. Hopefully your country is up there, everybody. Very Olympic. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. Do's and don'ts. Uh, oh, good guess, Riaz. Uh, do's and don'ts. So uh, a couple things on on this slide. So do's, we, we need to make sure buyers feel like we know what we're talking about. We've got to show that we are, quote, experts within our market. And too many times we know that, but we think that we just have to straight tell them that we are experts. We have to say, I'm awesome. And we have all these logos under under contract with our company. And we got this many users and they don't care about that. They will find out how good you are and how much you know in discovery, just based on the questions you ask, the way you ask them and how you dive deep after they give an answer. The way you ask a question, if you start using industry terminology and lingo and words that only people in that industry will use, they'll know that you're an expert at it. If you start asking specific types of questions around metrics that only people within that industry know, they'll know who you are and you know what you're talking about. So you do not need to even go deep on on all the amazing stuff that you're an expert at. Just ask the right questions in the right way. So that's one of my biggest do's of the do's and don'ts. In terms of a don't, one of the biggest mistakes people make, I have a lot of clients who do this and when I'm watching their downloads and I'm watching what they're doing on Discovery, the biggest mistakes is they sell in Discovery. So I know we're in sales. I know that we're trying to sell here. 
do not sell in discovery. It's a really bad thing. And the reason is twofold. One, when they're doing discovery, you're doing discovery, and they're saying all this stuff. It's so hard. And I get it when they say something that's really bad to them and you know that your product is going to solve it and they're going to love it. And it's so hard to just shut up because you're like, oh, let me just tell them about all, oh, it's going to be amazing. You're going to go in here and you're going to click this thing and there's a drop down and then this report pops up and there's this cool graph. Don't do that. It's, it really kills it because number one, it's going to stop them from talking. They'll realize, oh, now the sales part is up. I'm done telling them about us. I'm going to put up my sales wall now so that they don't sell me too hard and I don't accidentally buy something here. Right. So that's going to be a one bad thing. But the second bad thing is if you're in software, one of the coolest things is we have the combination of audio and video that we can show with our demo. We can show how amazing the product is while explaining it. Yeah. But if you start explaining stuff in discovery, you're not getting that show piece and they're going to completely miss exactly what's going to help them which means the most important thing that you know is going to solve their biggest problem, they're going to not understand it and you just lost. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't. This is a really counterintuitive thing for so many of us. I too, very guilty. I get into discovery and I get people into it and then I get excited. And then before I know it, I'm selling. It's a natural tendency we all have. Uh, okay. Rachel, you said detach from the outcome and don't be afraid of constructive tension. Break these two down. Let's do the do first. How do we get people to detach from the outcome? Why does this help? For sure. So uh, first off, Matt made a bunch of great points. And I think this kind of ties into uh, you know some of what you were describing in terms of the the seller wall that that kind of goes up, right? Um, we've all been in that position. We're in the mall, you know, we're doing our thing, and you know, we've got a weird like cologne salesman who comes up to us and tries to you know sell us you know whatever kind of cheap perfume that he's uh, selling. Immediately, you kind of go into that zone of resistance, right? Let's call it. Um, so one way to really kind of, uh, you know, be counterintuitive and don't, don't let that, not letting that happen is detaching from the, the outcome, right? So kind of try to get yourself out of the, the seller seat, uh, if possible. Like the, one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of junior sellers get into is this idea that, okay, this person I'm talking to who came into my website or whatever, like they have to go into my sales process. They have to, you know, I've got to like funnel them into, you know, a demo. I've got to take them to the, the next step. When that first call really should be even like kind of like a screening process. Are they worthy of even getting into your sales process, right? Do we want to be chasing our tail like with this person who's barely qualified or doesn't feel the pain that our solution can actually solve for, uh, you know, for months on end, right? And leading to a, a clogged pipeline, right? So uh, if you remove yourself from the situation, detach yourself from the outcome that like this has to be a sale, that goes a long way, right? Um, advocate for the negative, right? You can sort of think through like other things that they're saying. Like when they're leaning in, like can you even like sort of lean out a little bit? Like a little bit of reverse psychology also goes a long way. It kind of has uh, an effect of like not having that person feel put off um, and sort of get those sales and vibes. So that's that's the do. Um, in terms of the don't, um, don't be afraid of constructive tension. Uh, and it's something that I don't hear a lot of people talk about because I think inherently, uh, you know, sales is a very, the, the people game, uh, you know, we're dealing with all sorts of different people. We want to, um, uh, a lot of people kind of fall into the sort of the people pleasing trap as well, right? We say what we think that the other person wants us to say, um, but it's a game, right? And you're not having a normal human conversation. Like it is, it's a human conversation, but there's layers to this, right? Uh, and I think uh, a lot of sales reps who are in this kind of people pleasing mindset are afraid of asking like difficult questions that may lead to tension in the the process like you know um what kind of a like how have you sort of solved this problem in the past uh you know what is your buying process here what's your decision criteria 
um, sort of like even when the person may be a little bit detached, right? Calling that out. Hey, like I'm not really getting the sense that this is actually that relevant to you, right? Like actually having the balls to kind of say that maybe in the middle of a, a call. All of those things go a long way in terms of moving the conversation forward. Like either that person getting that person into a sales process or moving them out, right? Because that should always be kind of your your goal: moving them in or moving them out. Uh, and without, if you're fearing that that tension, it's going to be really difficult to to be successful at your job. I, I like that we're we're being asked here in the chat. Uh, thank you, TM. What is constructive tension? I think I think the story that I'm going to have Matt tell about his recent one of his clients will give you a good example of constructive tension and how it's used and how to recognize it. Uh, but I like that we're calling attention to it because we inherently run away from tension and we think it's a negative thing. But in a deal cycle, it actually can be a positive thing. And my producers are probably going to yell at me, but I'm going to change up the game here at the end. Let's get into process. Uh, and I'm just going to throw a monkey wrench in this whole thing. Let's talk a little bit about how we get people, <laughs> because I don't have some fun with the audience, right? Uh, do me a favor and put your go-to discovery question in the Q&A section right now. And at the end, we're going to go through a few of them and get some feedback from these experts. Let's have some fun with the audience here. I want to talk about setting expectations and process. Now, Rachel, you agreed with me when I said I get them to tell me how they buy things like this so that I have a good transition into how I sell things like this. Uh, this helps me to grease the wheels. I, I've gotten into a habit of this and it works pretty well. You find that this is helpful for almost every seller sooner rather than later. Am I right about that? Yeah, well, certainly. Um, yeah, if the, the question is right, figuring out where they are in that, that buying process, that journey, uh, that's one of the, the most critical things that you can do in that first call. Like, you know, are they very early on in that stage where they're not even sure where they're at, right? Like they're still needs gathering, they're figuring out what their challenges are. They know something's wrong, but they can't really sort of pinpoint what it is. The way you run that type of call is going to be drastically different to, okay, we're evaluating, you know, three or four of these vendors. We know kind of what we're looking for. Uh, and we're talking to you because we're trying to figure out sort of where you you fit um, so within that that process. So really spend uh, some time figuring out uh, where where they're at in so that awareness uh, sort of decision training because that's going to dictate the entire way that you run your your deal cycle. Yeah, Matt, you said that because people are further along, we've earned the right to be very direct. So you're coming at people with this question as soon as possible and don't beat around the bush. Talk to me about how you get this direct. And this confident because, well, let me know in the chat, right? Put a one in the chat. If you have a problem with confidence being direct, I have this problem. It's a massive problem. I feel like I'm going to chase people away. Matt, this takes confidence. How do we get it? Well, for sure. I mean, and, and somebody in the chat also mentioned we need to be challengers. That's something I teach to my clients. You must challenge them. You must feel like you can't just be subservient to them and hope that you're nice and all that. You have to challenge them in a, from a sales point of view. And in terms of the question that I like to ask is, I like to look at our product and and understand what it does well and then look at the market. And if you know your buyer and your ICP, you should know what your market is terrible at. What do they suck at? Either they don't do it at all or they do it very poorly that your product solves. And then what I do is what I call, I just throw a bomb over there, like throw a grenade right at that, knowing that it's going to just explode all over them and just ask that question directly. Hey, if this comes up, how do you handle it? knowing that it's going to be a disaster. And they're like, oh, I hate it when that happens. And we got to have Mary do this and she's got to do all this. And don't just end there. We need to pounce on that. Say, oh, really? You're spending that kind of time? On oh, 
we got to solve this. Okay, cool. Let me make a note. Let's make sure we solve it. And now you're on their side. Now they're they're in pain and they're dying over there. And you're like, yeah, let's sympathize together. And and now they realize we need help. And only once they have that deep amount of pain will they then know, okay, we got to solve this pain. We need some help. So not only ask like process questions, but ask process questions that you know are going to be answered in very bad ways. And then do what I call twist the knife, react with them and just let them know that it is bad. And the reason that this works, because if by this point you've shown like I'm in this industry all the time, I talk to people like you all the time, they know that you talk to people in their roles across the industry, then if you react badly to them, they'll realize that they're at the bottom of the industry because you're probably not reacting that way to other people. You're probably not going, oh no, really? That sounds like a surprise reaction. So they're going to realize, uh-oh, we're way behind. We got to catch up now. We need something that can do it. Oh, you have a tool. Okay, let's just do that. And it works really, really well. This is why body language and tone are so important on your calls. Even if they can't see you, you need to express it because it comes out more importantly. I have to get to these stories because Rachel has a couple of stories that I need her to share with you. And then Matt's story is going to give you a great example of that constructive tension that we mentioned earlier. So here come the stories. Uh, you had a prospect that was just viewing your product incorrectly and you had to correct them and educate them. And that's what earned you the trust. Tell me that story. For sure. So uh, this kind of ties into Matt's tip about just not being afraid to be direct, right? Uh, a lot of sellers tried to get, uh, so like trying to twist their product or trying to like, you know, maneuver the conversation in a way that's like, uh, even if you're coming in with something totally different, like I'm trying to just make my retrofit, my solution onto there, that doesn't work. That it turns people off. The, the wall goes up, lights go out, you're done, right? So the way that I handle this particular situation, I think is kind of reflective of a, in a different way, right? So this person came in through kind of an inbound campaign that we were running, uh, looking for something that we just didn't do. So this is, I'm at metadata. They're looking for like a data vendor or something. That's not something that we do. Uh, so that's something that I quickly find out. Uh, within sort of those first five or so minutes, I just level set like that is something that we do not do. I don't try to twist. I don't try to like, you know, say we couldn't do this, even the knowing that we don't, right? Even if they do, but in our, they fit perfectly in our ICP as well, right? I could have like done all these different things to try and sort of twist that conversation. So I was like, look, I'll be honest. Uh, that's not something that we do. If you want that, I re recommend like these two or three providers that you can look into. Um, what we do do is, you know, one line, you know, we're managing execution level, we help with sort of paid ads, et cetera. If you want to have that conversation, we can. But uh, if, again, if data is all you're looking for, then probably, you know, I, I don't want to waste your time here. And after that, it had the effect of like, she, she actually leaned in. She was like, uh, no, we don't do that. But I'm actually interested to learn a little bit more about it. And this is something that's going on in another part of our business. You know, this person oversees it. Uh, you know, and she was a bit of a, like, she did have champion qualities, right? She was very ambitious in her job. She sounded like someone, someone who could really get a deal done, right? So she's always curious. She's looking for different ways to improve her business. And that was something that caused her to lean in. And then we had a very productive conversation about what it is that we do do now to qualify the opportunity in the, the pipeline. But again, I don't think that outcome would have occurred if I just tried to kind of like push product. I gave her an opportunity to opt out of the conversation if she really wanted to, because again, that's not what she came in for. So don't be afraid to, to be direct. I love this story because I think we have a natural tendency to do things like sell a roadmap or sell something for the sake of gaining interest. And then it winds up being not about that thing they needed. 
ever, nobody likes the bait and switch, no matter what package it's wrapped in, right? The bait and switch, people just run away from that leads to bad taste. Matt, I want to pivot to you for this great story. And then we're going to look at some of these discovery questions that folks have put in. If you didn't put yours in the Q&A yet, throw it in the Q&A because these guys are experts. We're going to get them to you. Uh, Matt, tell me the story about the guy that come at you with a 12% close rate and the change that was seems simple, but it's not for a lot of people. This is the example of constructive tension, y'all. Yeah. One of my, one of my clients, Brian, he had a 12% close rate, super frustrated, wasn't sure what was going on. He'd been in sales for a while, but with this new software he was selling, it wasn't working and he didn't know why. Um, so we went through, we analyzed and realized that his, his discovery was really mostly about just finding fit and finding fit is great. Some people don't even do that. So you, like Rachel said, you have to make sure there's a fit there. And if there's not say no and offer them an opportunity to look somewhere else. But a lot of people are finding fit, but then they stop and we need to do more than that. There's three other reasons for discovering beyond just realizing that they're a fit for your product. You have to make sure you connect with them. We talked about that. You have to make sure that they know what you're talking about. And, and fourthly, you have to get them emotional. They have to feel terrible. They should come into the call like, hey, I want to look and see if this tool is going to work for us. And they should leave the call like, oh no, we are so in trouble. We've got to find a solution. And those who can do that really well, getting them understanding how bad things can go, can really thrive when they're selling. And so my client, Brian, we went through this. We understood, hey, he was being a little soft. He wasn't challenging enough. He wasn't twisting the knife, getting them feeling their emotion. We worked on some tactics on that, on how he can do that even better. He started putting in play and his close rate just jumped. It went from 12% to 41% in a couple months. And he's now crushing it. Now he's over 50%, just absolutely killing it because of this. 12% to 41% simply by reacting more. That's the only change in the discovery process that was made. Okay, here's how we're going to play this at the end because we got a couple of minutes. I'm going to say your name, then I'm going to give you a discovery question. And all I want is a quick piece of feedback for the discovery, whether you would change something or whether you are, you know, hey, I like that when it's good. So this one comes from Daniel. Are you looking to change what's been going on or just looking to see what's out there? Rachel, what do you think about that one? I like it. Yeah, it's uh, you're basically trying to shit test uh, like where they are in that that journey, right? Are they oh, a variation that I use is you know are you curious or committed to making a change? Which is same stuff, just worded differently. So I like it. Yeah, yeah. are you out for change? Is pretty simple, right? Okay, this one is for Matt. This comes from Carrie. What do you wish your software could do that it can't do now? We think about that one. Yeah, I like that. I actually like asking both of these. So you, if you're talking about to somebody who's using a competitor system, hey, what I, I like saying, hey, why do you, uh, or what do you wish it could do that you don't? I like that because you're not smashing the competitor. You're not saying, hey, why is that a bad system? Which would make you look bad as a salesperson. So you're asking the question in the right way, but also asking the other thing, what does it do that you like? is a good thing because you want to make sure that your product can do it and that they don't lose something that they already have. They would feel terrible switching if they lost functionality that they have currently. So good question. That is a good question. And I like the specificity of both of those. They are very specific. So it's a it's a tough one. You can't just, you can't just answer it willy-nilly and brush somebody off when you ask it. Uh, this is a good one, I think. It says, how are you doing it now and how do you measure it? What do you think about that one, Rachel? Ooh. 
I like it. I mean, you know, it's it's broad. It's sort of open ended. Uh, you know, it would need to we need to think about you know the context in which we're, we're asking these questions, right? But I think that's a sort of a a good way to a discover their process in terms of you know, how they're going about solving that problem today and what they're trying, and then b the quantifiable impact of it, right? In terms of the the measurement. Without a quantifiable business case, no deal is going to go through, especially true now. CFOs are scrutinizing every deal uh, that is uh, sort of going through these days. So um, I think that's a, a succinct way of doing that. Well, let me launch this question while we talk about this last one here. When do you start talking about their buying process? If you're still in the room, take part in that right there. And this one goes to Matt. This is the last one. It comes from John Bronder. He says, what ripple effects has this problem caused in other areas of the business? I like this because it's a great opportunity to start multi-threading, right? Yeah, I think it's fantastic because we want to figure out what the overall situation is. What's the overall problem? Not just, hey, what's this minor thing that you're trying to solve, but how else is it impacting you? And I like getting even close. Like, how are you personally impacted? Because a lot of times your buyer, your champion, they might say, oh, yeah, we want profitability. We need to improve if they aren't a CFO or a CEO, they probably don't care about profitability unless they have some sort of profitability bonus, which is unlikely. They don't care about that. They care that the CEO and CFO like what they've done to impact that. So they care what their bosses think. They care what their colleagues think. They care that they get home to the family at night. Those are the things they care about. And so selling to what they actually care about, what that person really cares about is critical. So I think it's a good question. I like it. It looks like a lot of folks are giving that question out on how they buy things, the first and second call. So kudos to you for the 7% that are waiting until they bring it up. Take that step forward. Bring it up first. Get that detail. It's going to help you to sell better in the long run. I'm going to go ahead and drop Matt and Rachel's LinkedIn profiles in the chat right now so you guys can all go connect with them. Thank you so much for coming and connecting with our audience and sharing your wisdom. We always appreciate you. Uh, our guests are the best in the business and we appreciate all the time that they spend with our audience. Connect with us on social, sellbetter.xyz. Uh, make sure you connect with me personally at Say What Sales. I've never met a stranger in my life and we will see everybody next time on an episode of Sell Better to help you. you got it, Sell Better. Thanks for coming in, you two. Thanks all. Thanks, James. Thanks for having us.